Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast Extras. In this episode, we bring Warren into the lab and quiz him about overclocking. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Warren Young. So we have a special extra this time. We're going to do an interview with Warren. Hello, internets. I am Warren Young. What brings you on the podcast today? Darren uh, invited me to uh, talk tech and really kind of see what the Ninja Lane uh, labs are all about. Cool. Well, I hope you like your, your stay here. So uh, how long have you been working with computers? I have had a love-hate relationship with my wallet now since I was about 12 years old. 12 years old? That's, uh, that's quite a while. So what was your first computer? If you count that it was just a disk drive and a screen, it would be my Commodore 64. Ah, yes, Commodore 64. I remember going over to a friend's house and playing on one of those. Well, I think I mentioned on the podcast my first computer was a Tandy 1000 SX. Dad bought it new, and ironically, I was the only one in the house that ever used it. What's your daily computer? What do you use now? Right now, I have a It's a pretty nice build from CyberPower. Ooh, CyberPower PC. We love those guys. Yep, built on the Half 912. And I think the only thing right now I've upgraded on it is the power supply. Put in the new Ultra X4 1200. Somebody that buys a CyberPower machine probably doesn't build them on your own, right? No. In fact, uh, prior to, I was a Dell purchaser. Ah. And figured that if I was going to keep going down that road, I would at least want something that I could upgrade myself. You know, that's the nice thing about the CyberPower with the the case I have now is, you know, nothing is soldered down or glued or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can upgrade it as as need be. I mean, and, one of my other, or I should say one of our other listeners bought a CyberPower machine and he upgraded from a 7970, which was the only card available at the time, well, the best one, mm-hmm. to a EVGA 780 Super Clock. Now he's playing Borderlands with the Physex turned all the way up and just loving it. So uh, what do you do with your CyberPower machine most of the time? I am more of a first-person shooter. Oh, good. I think we all are around here. Right now, I've been dabbling in a lot of the, the newer free-to-plays coming out. So MechWarrior Online, Firefall. Going to get the Borderlands at all? You know, I think I just saw a sale for the full package for, what was it, thirteen ninety nine? That's lunch money right there. Come yeah, on. No, no better time than now. Exactly. So you know about overclocking, right? I do. When someone describes overclocking or says overclocking, what's the first thing you think of? I guess I should revise my statement. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. That I'm aware of what it is, Mm -hmm. but the depth of the complexity, really the kind of the how-to process. Yeah, and I want to say that you're probably not alone in, in that aspect. You're familiar with the hot clocked or factory overclocked video cards, right? Yes. And since you're somewhat familiar with it, the basis of a hot clock video card is that the manufacturer takes a card and will increase the core clock or the memory clock to give it better performance. And I had mentioned the 780 super clock from EVGA. That's basically a stock 780 from NVIDIA, the reference design that they've added an overclock to. And in some cases, in this case, actually, they put a new heatsink and fan on it to support the extra load and make it perform better. So just push the 
push the cycles up and yep and that's in a sense that's overclocking in the case of a video card a hot clock video card that's factory overclocking CyberPower actually offers a performance package where they'll overclock your system for you before you get it. I'm not sure if yours was actually one of those, but a couple of the systems that we reviewed were overclocked to 4.2, 4.5 gigahertz from the factory, and it gave quite a performance boost over something that you would build yourself. They gave the option, and I did not opt in for that. You've listened to the podcast before, and I think we've talked a little bit about overclocking, but do you even know what the process is for overclocking? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, the process is actually pretty simple and also somewhat complex, and I think that's one reason that average computer users haven't ever dabbled with overclocking. Well, without either prior instruction or someone there that is experienced, I'm sure the risk versus reward for just me doing it on my own, <laughs> probably uh, not worth the, <laughs> the risk. Well, I think what we'll do for this little interview is uh, quiz you on some overclocking terms and see what your knowledge is, and then we'll take it from there. All right, fire away. So cooling is a major factor in successful overclock, and one reason why products are sold at a certain speed is because of the amount of heat that they produce. Ivy Bridge processors, for instance, were sold at 3.5 gigahertz, but with proper cooling under liquid nitrogen, they could run around 7 gigahertz. So do you know that there are five major cooling methods for computer components? Five? Five of them. A couple of them are self-explanatory because they're on the CyberPowers machine that you have already. And I'm wondering if you know what they are. I was not aware there were that many. Yeah. So what do you think the first one is? Just looking at my system right now, obviously, if I wanted to cool it down, I would say throw a bigger heat sink on it. Yep. And that would be the OEM coolers, the heat sinks. Uh, we do quite a few of those reviews around here. The next method up provides a bit more cooling performance, mostly in the amount of heat that it can transfer from the CPU to the radiator. So what method do you think that is? Oh, liquid cooling. Liquid cooling, yes, the water cooler, self-contained water cooling unit. Now, the next three are more for the extreme overclocker. The people are going to be pushing things past and below ambient temperatures. So which do you think is next? Well, you I, said below ambient temperature. Mm -hmm. If you're going to keep it cool, put some sort of radiator on it. Put a, put a coolant system Cool. Uh, like a refrigerant or some sort of gas. Yeah, because you're going to want to keep it cool. And in this case, we're looking for the single-stage phase cooler. I use that quite often in the lab. The one I have is a special-built unit, supports about 300 watts. Now, you mentioned, you said single-stage, so... In the overclocking industry, there's, well, for lack of me saying something else, it's stages. So in single-stage, that means that there's one compressor and one radiator system. Okay. In a dual-stage system, they call that a cascade. So basically, you are using another compressor, another refrigerant, to cool the refrigerant of the primary system. So you have two compressors, basically two different loops. One's cooling the other one. That way you get a little bit, well, quite a bit more performance out of it. The single-stage phase will run down to about negative 35 degrees centigrade at the processor. A cascade system, dual or triple stages, will run 
anywhere close to negative 90 to negative 110 degrees centigrade. And that's just because as the single stage, it's pulling off the heat Mm -hmm. and just on its own having to cool down that main system. Yep, exactly. And that brings us to the fourth cooling method, which is around a negative 110, negative 120. Works a lot like a single stage system, but is um, solid in nature and exhaled from your breath. Well, the thing is, is you gave that away about two minutes ago when you (laughs) said liquid nitrogen. Oh, close, close, very close. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. See, this one, I I didn't give you a hint on, but this one is actually... What is that solid state? Dry ice? Dry ice. Interesting. Or dice, as they call in the industry. Dry ice cooling is kind of an intermediate step between a single stage, because single stage phase coolers are quite expensive to get into. But once you have them, then you can use them for years. Dry ice is a jump point because you can use the same cooling gear for liquid nitrogen as you do for dry ice. But the method for cooling with dry ice is a little bit different. Okay. In this case, since it's a solid, you have to use a liquid vehicle to transfer the cool coolant from the dry ice to the copper to get to the processor. And then the fifth major one you've already mentioned, which is B, liquid nitrogen, and that will get you down to negative 200 plus degrees centigrade. And that's really the creme de la creme of overclocking. Did not realize that that was available to the commercial market. It's kind of hard to get. It's an industrial gas. And if you own a business, a lot of times you can start an account with some of the places around here and be able to get liquid nitrogen relatively easy. I did get a few weird looks the first time I said, hey, I need a 120 liter doer of liquid nitrogen. I was like, um, why? Well, yeah. <laughs> so I had to give them the, the quick spiel on what I was doing. And Now, does liquid nitrogen compare to, say, other liquids, uh, refrigerants like, say, liquid CO2? Yeah, they're very similar. Liquid CO2 is really hard to keep as a liquid, so it doesn't work well to pour into like a copper container. Okay, I guess as, yeah, as soon as it hits room temperature, it just wants to... Yeah, and it's not going to be as cold as dry ice, for instance. But liquid nitrogen has one of those low specific heats, so it will stay liquid as long as it's not disturbed. So if you have it in a flask, it will sit there for, I don't know, like half hour before it actually completely boils away. But once you pour it into a copper container that's on a CPU, it will boil away almost instantly. You can pour it on your hand, which I don't recommend that you do, but you could pour it on your hand, and as long as it's not pooled, it will just boil off. Your skin will keep you warm enough that it's not going to burn you. Good science tip, kids. Yeah. Here's a couple more technical questions. There are two ways to overclock a Haswell-based CPU. What do you think they are? That is a good question. (laughs) Yeah. Now, I can uh, give you a couple of hints here. The K-Edition processors are unlocked from Intel, and the unlocking means that you can change the multiplier. And the way that CPU frequency is determined is a base clock times a multiplier to get the resultant frequency. Most uh, Ivy Bridge, Sandy Bridge, and Haswell processors start with a 100 megahertz base clock, and you multiply that by the multiplier, and that's how you get the resultant frequency. So by 35 will get you 3.5 gigahertz. So if you change... So really, if you change the multiplier, you could 
overclock the system quite well. Bring it up. You can also change the base clock, or you can change the multitude of both of those. Um, the math gets a little funky, but you could do 110 base clock, assuming your processor will support that, and add a 40 multiplier, and you might get, what, 4.2 gigahertz. Okay, so both both sides can be raised or lowered to meet the specifications. There's a couple of advantages. The multiplier will change the CPU frequency primarily. If you change the base clock, you're changing the system clock. And it's something that we talked about on a previous podcast episode, where the system clock controls like the PCI Express bus. It also controls the memory frequency. And when you change the base clock, you're really trying to adjust for the best memory frequency that you can get. So if you buy memory that is 2133 megahertz, and you can get a couple of extra megahertz on the base clock, you've overclocked your memory just a little bit, and you get a slight edge and a little bit more performance out of it. I see. But you get a few extra frames in your game, and things just run a little bit smoother. On the podcast, we've talked about overclocking competitions like the Master Overclocking Arena and even Hardware Box. As an outsider looking in, what do you think of these sorts of activities? Well... It's always said if it's worth doing, it's probably worth overdoing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, the whole goal of the overclock, like you just said, is to get a little more performance. But somewhere, someone's going to say exactly how much can I get out of this? Like, what's the bleeding edge that I could take this to before it lights on fire? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I haven't actually seen a system light on fire recently. (laughs) Recently. (laughs) But there's a couple of videos out there, not of mine, that kind of show that sort of thing. And I, you know, this overclocking thing is really pretty safe, but there's always a a warning label attached to it. And it's mostly so that people don't sue somebody for like blowing something up if they do something stupid. But I can also see it too, where it's a competition. So, I mean, if you're, if everyone's pushing that edge, it's like any sort of sport, you know, NASCAR, where, you know, those Chevys that we see driving around every day on the road mm-hmm. are not the same ones that we're going to see going doing ovals at, uh, at the brickyard. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. You bring up a good point in that this really is competition. Overclocking has this, um, I should say, this stigmata around it that only certain people can understand or only certain people want to understand. And as a person who doesn't necessarily know a lot about overclocking, when you see somebody trying to do a competition or somebody talking about the competition... The real challenge is for the overclocker to try and explain what it is they're doing. For instance, at Computex, I was watching the overclocking show at the GSCO booth. And I had two instances where somebody came up and asked me, so what are they doing? And at that point, it was really hard for me to explain what it was that they're trying to do because there was really no, there was no goal for them. They were just kind of showing off. Mm Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to explain that it was they're overclocking with liquid nitrogen. They're going to give away stuff, so they should just hang out, and, you know, and that seemed to work. In terms of hardware bot and the MOA, things are a little bit different because there's money on the line, there's prizes on the line, and it's a matter of trying to attract other people to get involved. Well, that's obviously, I think, important to any sport, or you always have to bring in either, you know, the next generation and keep it going, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And with the dwindling PC industry, it's kind of hard because we're not going to be able to overclock our Androids as much as we could uh, an Ivy Bridge, for instance. I don't see jailbreaking competitions coming in the uh, in the near future. No, probably not. <laughs> so what kind of questions do you have about overclocking in general? I mean, if you wanted to overclock your CyberPower machine, 
what would you want to know? I believe the first step would be, where do I begin? There's a lot of ways you can look at that. There's the one where you're trying to reach an end goal, saying, I want to get more performance out of such and such game. Mm -hmm. Or I want to get more performance out of such and such an application. And those particular overclocks are going to be different because one's going to factor into the video card and one's going to factor into the CPU or the motherboard. So rather than just bring it all up, we can actually specifically really dial in. Mm -hmm. and Yeah, it's a lot like tuning a car, for instance. I mean, okay. if we want to have better drag performance on the quarter mile, we're going to beef up the engine and maybe lower the transmission. If we want to have a higher top speed, maybe we'll just tweak the engine a little bit. Or change the gear ratios. Or... Right. It's a lot of the same lines. Now, if you wanted to compete in hardware bot, you could also look at the different benchmarks that they have. So we have like a SuperPi 32M sort of system. That's a system benchmark. So we're going to concentrate on getting into the BIOS and raising the CPU frequency and then also tweaking the memory timing so that data going from the CPU into the memory is faster. And that's where, you know, trial and error comes into place. But even in a car, it's like trial and error. It's like, is this air filter good? Do I need to use different spark plugs? It's the same thing. I think I'm getting it. So now that we know where to begin, let's say I wanted to get a few more frames out of Borderlands 2. So if you want to get more frames out of Borderlands 2, there's two things that you're going to want to do. The first one will be to download an application called MSI Afterburner. That's going to be the software package that will overclock your video card. You load that up, it will detect your card, and then you can start messing with the memory and the GPU sliders. Move them up maybe 10 megahertz, and then play the game a little bit, and then just kind of see how it runs. Stop the game, come back, move it up maybe 10, 20 more megahertz, and then do that until things start to slow down or you start to see artifacts on the screen, because at that point, you are pushing the limits of your cooling system and also of the GPU. Back it down about 20, you got yourself a nice overclock. So as long as you don't go completely overboard on your first few attempts mm -hmm. and just ease it up, there's really not a whole lot of risk. Not really, no. The risk involved is not in the casual overclocker with the air cooling and the water cooling. A lot of the risk is when you start moving into super cooling, like with liquid nitrogen or dry ice. That's when you're pushing voltages that could normally kill a CPU or a GPU. You're also pushing frequencies that would normally cause the screen to go completely black and the, the computer to completely crash. And that's really not what you want from an overclock. You want, as kind of in a casual overclocker, wants to get a little more performance, you're just going to kind of ease up everything and don't push it too much. Now, you know, increasing the clock cycles, increasing the power to it, I assume that that's going to bring some... Obviously, these cards come with some tolerances built in. Oh, yes. Those are actually the, the bane of the extreme overclocker. There's one called the overcurrent protection, which will limit how much power goes into the GPU. Because, for instance, like NVIDIA has determined that if you have over a certain current going into the GPU, it will actually fry the processor. While the GPU might be good enough to handle an X overclock, the overcurrent protection will say, hey, too much power is going into the GPU and it will cut you back. So you can run up to like maybe a thousand megahertz, but OCP, overcurrent protection, will kick in and really not give you any better performance than what you got before. And that's where running a benchmark like 3D Mark 11 or Firestrike or even Vantage 
will give you raw numbers to determine if your overclock is actually successful or not. While you're testing Borderlands, if you want to see a real metric, you can run a benchmark that will give you a frame rate. Or you can use like Fraps, for instance, if it's a game. The number at the end will tell you how many frames per second in each stage, and then you can compare that to a previous run and determine if it's actually faster or slower. If one of the protections kicks in, then obviously the numbers are going to be the same. They're not going to scale as much. I see. I think that takes a lot of the the fear, the trepidation out of what normal people would probably think of when they think of overclocking and they, you know, they see the people pushing more power into their <laughs> into their systems and yeah. Well, truth be told, seeing somebody pour liquid nitrogen onto a CPU and get 6 gigahertz out of it is really amazing, but you know, there is a lot of effort that goes into that and a lot of cost. It doesn't have to be that to actually be able to overclock and be able to have fun overclocking. Awesome. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2013. Thanks for listening. I'm getting it. Strap an air conditioner to it. Good science tip, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>